Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome to the TMV podcast by the Muslim Vibe with your boy Inayat Kanji. Today we are talking about inclusion of those suffering from disabilities within the Muslim community. And for that purpose, we are joined by none other than Sukaina Dada, president of Smile Canada, a not for profit organization based in Canada that provides support and develops awareness for those suffering with disabilities, as in particular children suffering with disabilities in the Muslim community. And we're also fortunate to be joined by Mason Reva Karkul. We describe him as a volunteer and activist within the disabled community. However, he says he's just trying to make the world a better place. So we would love to welcome both of them to the show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum salam. I have to say before we start this show is sponsored by Wahid Invest and we are very proud to say that we are now sponsored by Wahid Invest. Wahid helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy. Um, but yes, yeah, so thank you very much to both of you for joining us uh, today and for obviously um, helping us with this discussion because it is something which is very much untalked of or um, I suppose not in the sense of... Um, uh, maybe stigmatized in the way that other issues are but rather it's just I suppose a lack of awareness and the reason why I say that is just before uh, we started the podcast I was talking to some colleagues and I was saying uh, do you know do they even offer the services in mosque you know in around um, you know um, transcribing or translating lectures or providing speech uh, support uh, for those who you know who obviously would need it um, so my point being as a general Muslim who attends the mosque every day um or every day I make out like I'm so religious um, but yeah uh, every time there's a function um, as I say I'm quite unaware of what is even on offer within the community um, and suppose let me start with uh, Mason there um, you know so uh, obviously yourself being a North West Londoner um, you uh, I assume you, you frequent Stanmore Mosque for instance um, you know uh, how do you find uh, the support uh, given within the community within your local mosque uh, in regards to those who need uh, assistance when you know there are things like seminars or lectures or uh, workshops I think that speaking in general it's not just my local mosque but mosque in general and other community centers and so on the needed there. There's definitely a need for more support, but it's just like you said, there's a lack of awareness. Right, so the so, need is there, but it yeah. is, again, as you say, a, a lack of awareness, right? Um, so I suppose then, Sukaina, that's where uh, organisations like yourself um, must uh, be of so much use. Um, so we said it, you're, you're based in Canada. I, I wonder what the situation is there. Is it much different in terms of the Muslim community? Are they still in their early kind of stages of understanding? <laughs> how, how would you term it from your experience? Yes, I would definitely ag agree with you there. Um, we're in our early stages of understanding. I think when we speak to, uh, because of Small Canada, we speak to many, many different uh, Muslim communities, different, uh, you know, imams or, or maulanas, preachers, and we, we talk to many, many people who run these centers, and often we hear 
that first of all, there's not a need, which is which is not true. There is definitely a need, um, but hmm. people just don't see it as something that is um, urgent or something that is required. Why? Why do you think that is? I mean, because obviously your work is around developing awareness. Why? Why do you feel that um, that they are they have that perception or that perspective? I think oftentimes because people don't meet. Um, uh, many children. In in our case, we work a lot with children. But, but for example, many many people tell us, well, we you know we don't really see a lot of people um, who are deaf or blind or who are using right. wheelchairs who ad- attend the center. And hmm. and it's kind of ironic because in return, um, we say, well, you know, perhaps that is because the sermon's not accessible or the facility is not accessible and then it's kind of an aha moment where people are like oh okay well you know if we had sign language interpreting services for example yeah maybe the muslim the deaf muslim community would come out exactly i suppose it's a, it's a catch-22 because uh, yeah. they're, they're not observing it because it's not on offer so as you say why would somebody attend uh, only to to not have the the the, the right uh, needs uh, and requirements fulfilled um so i mean so mason then let me let me ask you so is if this is the case that people are unaware um of the firstly the i suppose the demographics of it, so how many people actually are in need um, of the assistance in itself. Um, how do you go about making uh, people more aware of the circumstance and situation? You personally, what's your experience been? And how receptive are they to when you bring forth the information that you need uh, to convince them that you know it is something that is necessary and required? With me personally, I'm part of quite a few different projects. So one of the projects that me and my brother had started, bear in mind me and my brother are both profoundly deaf, which means we cannot hear at all without our hearing aids. And what we've started doing is that we take lectures that have been recorded on video from YouTube and we just start captioning them. I see. And from those captioned video, we release them on YouTube again, but Mm -hmm. with the caption. Right. And it's actually helped a lot of people okay and from there on we've gone to basically market that project mm-hmm. so we've gone to all the different shake we've gone to all the different lecturers and we've told them look this is what we're doing mm-hmm. but we're doing all the hard work we just need you to talk about it on the pulpit right 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 and so so you've captioned these videos you've gone forward to the necessary people be it scholars or you know organizing organizational committees um and again uh, i ask so do you find them receptive uh, you know once you put in all that hard work surely they would say yeah um you know and and uh, agree to whatever small um you know favor that you're asking or uh, are you finding it still difficult it is once we talk to the cheikh or the college or so on they are more than welcome to talk about it on the pulpit, hmm. but more often than not, I see it become like a footnote in the lecture right. rather than an actual topic. Right, and that that shows how much we still have to go towards changing that taboo subject of bringing the awareness about. So maybe I was wrong in saying that it's not a stigmatised issue because, as as you mentioned there, Mason, um, it's something where. It, 
it's a footnote. It becomes more of an announcement rather than an issue or a topic that needs to be addressed. Um, again, Sukena, so, I mean, because your work is much around building these relationships and, you know, um, and educating as well, I see, is uh, a foremost um, kind of objective of yours. So what strategies do you guys use, Smile, uh, as an organisation to, to help the Muslim community in that regard? We tell a lot of stories and we um, <laughs> we have families who have children with disabilities tell their story because, right. you know, oftentimes there's this, uh, there's this myth that making a center inclusive and accessible requires, you know, a ton of money, for example. Hmm. That's not, that's not true. We can make small changes and at times we can make bigger changes, right. but we, we, we can even start by making smaller changes. Could you give me and an example, for instance, sorry to yeah, interject, so, yeah. Uh, definitely. So oftentimes, um, you know, when we have children who, who are using wheelchairs and they're trying to get into a masjid and there's there might be a ramp, yeah. but maybe there's not um, an accessible space to enter the bathroom, for example. Right, right, right. So what we would say to the to to the people who are running the centers, we would say, you know what, it's really hard for people to come into the masjid. And then if they want to use the restroom, they're unable to. But this this change um, not only it, would it be a, a small amount of money required, hmm. but also it would make such a difference in the lives of, of so many people. And I think oftentimes when people hear that firsthand, and yeah. we, talk to, we talk to people about the impact that it would make on somebody wanting to attend the masjid, after that we get a much better response. But I would agree with Mason that still it, it is still... A footnote. It is not. Um, it is not always on the table of discussion. It's just more kind of like an added thing. And so I think we just need to keep going and keep raising that awareness, so that it becomes more than just a side comment. Most definitely, most definitely. And I hope uh, with podcasts like these and uh, the work that you guys do, that we can do that. I mean, uh, as we say, then. So we're in the initial stages, uh, Mason, uh, and uh, uh, we're obviously. As I said, me included, quite ignorant to um, how vast the need is. So, I mean, what would you say um, in regards to, as again, you know, your your experiences, how how common is this issue um, for families within the Muslim community? Um, Because as as we mentioned earlier, people claim that there isn't many people, um, you know, afflicted by this or that people who would suggest that there isn't a need, you know, how, how would you um, kind of refute that, dispute that? You'll be surprised by how many families are actually affected. Um, so, for example, me, I was born profoundly deaf, and I, my family has made it well known to the community that I was profoundly deaf. Right. So, I was always kind of accepted into the community. Mm-hmm. with that disability. Yeah. But there are some families that I have come across that would just shy away from their children being deaf or disabled. Right. So, so almost not recognise it? Or... They are recognising it, but they're embarrassed by it. Where they can't do anything about it. They just have to accept it as it is. Hmm. And for that, I would just say start talking to people. Hmm. Because once you start talking to people, then you start asking questions about the disability. Because once I suppose you start asking questions, then yeah. you start learning more about 
what to do and what not to do. Most definitely, because I suppose, like Sakaina said as well, you know, um, people are looking as for stereotypical signs a lot of the time. You know, so for instance, someone with a physical disability mm -hmm. or in a wheelchair. Um, and often when it comes to things like speech or hearing, uh, they can almost go unnoticed if you don't interact with the person. So again, yep. uh, I suppose, are there many variations in terms of the acuteness and the severity of uh, the disabilities uh, that you've come across? Most well, definitely. I, I always use the analogy of someone who wears glasses. So right. you can say someone is blind where they only use glasses to read a book. Yeah. Or you can say someone is blind where they cannot see anything. Mm -hmm. That one word had can mean a variety of that spectrum. Right, that right, term. right. And that's a, that's a very, very good analogy to use. And I suppose that brings me then to you, Sakena, in that taking uh, your organisation, which focuses on children, how would it impact a child if they weren't to have the support of organisations like yourself or people like uh, Mason Rubber, um, you know, um, championing the cause? Um, have, have you experienced or met with adults who have suffered that neglect and almost had that understanding, therefore, of how severe uh, an impact it can have if there aren't these services available? Yeah, I mean, we, we've met many, many families who, whose children are growing up who just feel so isolated from their community. And I think every everybody on, um, you know, in this discussion would, would agree that right now in 2017, like it's, it's difficult for Muslims. Hmm. Um, and, you know, without having the support of your local community, it becomes even more difficult yeah. just to just to be present and and live life and interact. But oftentimes people are left out. Um, you know, not only of their of their masjid, yeah. uh, but also of social events within their center, Very or true. sports events within their center, or Islamic schools, um, or true. madrasas, and you know, um, uh, religious schools. And I think that you know we have to understand that that definitely, most definitely, has an impact on on you know a, a younger person or an older person um, especially I think in today's time when when the sociocultural environment is a little bit uh, a little bit toxic <laughs> most definitely that's a whole nother podcast but yeah I, I completely <laughs> yeah. understand what you mean if not if not a few other podcasts <laughs> yeah <laughs> most definitely yeah no because you, you're right I mean in an age where people are feeling um kind of more increasingly isolated though we obviously have everybody at a touch of a button we know the irony there um as you say confidence is a massive thing within young people um and that's uh, based around self-esteem and inclusion and social activity um and i see mason nodding his head there um because uh, because obviously if these things aren't provided for uh, a young person growing up um it can be extremely uh it can be extremely uh, i suppose just detrimental to their um spiritual emotional and mental health well, would you would you agree with that mason in a way yeah because um with confidence and self-esteem it only comes about when you're interacting with people right so unless you interact with people mm -hmm. your self-esteem doesn't grow right, right right and for a person who had a visible or non-visible disability yeah that self-esteem to to get it to go is very hard when you're isolated from the community hmm. and that's what me and 
morally trying to change as well. Indeed, indeed. Well, I mean, we, we've we've talked much about, I suppose, you know, the the stereotypical um, misconceptions and you know um, the negative side, I suppose, of uh, people's reactions to this topic. So going forward, then, like, what what is the work, for instance, that Smile um, Canada do uh, to combat this? From be it the relationship building or the educational workshops you deliver, uh, how do you go about? Um, I know you touched upon it earlier, but you know, uh, on a on a day to day basis, what what is the organisation kind of um, functioning as then? So we tackle this issue um, in two different ways. Firstly, we go into um, mosques uh, and Islamic centers and we talk to people about making their places inclusive and accessible. And we talk to them about the benefits of it, right? Because if we, for example, had sermons um, uh, presented in different modes, it doesn't only benefit um, uh, Muslims who are, are deaf or hard of hearing, it benefits people who also, um, you know, prefer like a visual style, for example. Right. Um, and, and that's really important to know because you have a ramp, you are also helping people who have strollers and people <laughs> who have difficulty climbing stairs. Like there's, um, you know, there's, there's a need to talk about um, accessibility for, for everybody. And yeah. I think, um, so, so firstly, that's what we do is we, we go into centers and we, we talk about accessibility and inclusion. But the second thing we do is we talk to um, mainstream organizations and agencies and we talk to them about also understanding specific needs of the Muslim community, whether it's language needs or social cultural needs. Right. Um, because in addition to accessing our own um, faith-based spaces, yeah. we also need to be able to access the other resources that Precisely. are out there. Precisely. So, uh, so yeah, sorry, sorry. Those so are continue. the two main ways. Okay, so 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 I suppose yeah, uh, that that's great because um, whilst we're we're talking obviously about the Muslim community, um, you know, from a faith based perspective, uh, as you say, there is the other side in terms of life itself on an everyday basis for the individual, um, and I suppose again, you know, it's not sufficient to just. I mean, it's a good starting place, obviously, um, uh, as uh, Mason will, will testify, obviously, to work with the Muslim community and whatnot. But how, how does that not take a much more hands-on approach than Sakaina in working with the families as well then um, to, to be able to help them in a mainstream capacity, be it their schooling, be it, you know, um, their general kind of, you know, uh, uh, getting around in terms of their day-to-day -day activities? Uh, how much interaction do you guys as an organisation have with the families themselves then so we have quite a bit we have an assessment team that's made up of different healthcare and education professionals that that communicate with the families um uh quite frequently i would say at least maybe a few times a month um okay. or at least once a month to check in but also the families get together for social events and so oh, i will be will be very honest the families are the biggest and resource of one another okay. so so as much as smile volunteers will be there yeah um, the families are really really helping each other by sharing resources sharing perhaps um, you know any funding opportunities that they've come across now, that's excellent any, to hear any programs um, and so it's really a neat thing to see kind of from the sidelines is that you facilitate these events and put together um, you know some of these events and really what ends up happening is people are helping one another 
That's no, that's excellent to hear that it blossoms into something bigger, uh, as you say. You know, an event that you maybe um, initially throw then enables friendships to blossom, and as you say, people to learn from one another, each other's experiences. Um, Mason, how have you found it personally, and in regards to you know your your interactions with others, um, in terms of families supporting one another? Do you find that you know um, Muslim families who are similarly coping with uh, these difficulties do come forward or as you said before um, do people shy from each other a little bit in embarrassment at the beginning with me personally people would shy away from me right right but once they found out that apart from me not being able to hear at all I'm just like everyone else yeah I well I don't like football that much but <laughs> I like Formula 1 and so on yeah and I'm just a regular guy right? who likes to do stuff just like any any other one, hmm. any other person would like to do. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. once they figured that out, once that click went off in their head, once that light bulb went off in their head, yeah. then they started coming towards me, they started talking. So it's, it almost seems like it's a little bit of fear from the other person, ironically, in that they don't know how to engage with you um, from their own uh, lack of understanding and ignorance, I that's suppose. Just, that's a really good way of putting it, because that's almost exactly what it is sometimes, that mm. some people, they want to interact with us, yeah. but they they have no idea how to interact. Right, right. Because they have not re- either received any proper training, they've not come across people like us before, mm-hmm. or any other reason. Mm-hmm. So... Going back to confidence and self-esteem, it can come from both sides then. Right, right, so right. Both from the person with the disability and the person who wants to interact with them. Precisely, yeah. So it comes from both sides. So I suppose, and, and again, that that's the beauty of uh, both your works in that hopefully um, whilst you're aiding the, the individuals obviously afflicted with the, the disability, at the same time as that through your awareness, um, uh, development and everything else, hopefully others who are interested in helping or interested in just generally uh, being more aware um, with therefore be more forthcoming and as you say they would have more confidence to do so um but again as i say do you so family wise though do you find that you now receive much support do you have other friends and you know um as i say you know uh who have been through similar experiences and you guys come together um like sukena was mentioning in terms of as a social setting or to help one another with you know um kind of issues you faced in your life be it work or studies um you know or general we do. life we do um so with me being profound yeah mm-hmm. i have met other people so in my family it's not just me and my brother who are profound yeah right in fact the whole house is profound yeah okay wow so, for us, it's just a normal way of life. Right, okay, That we yeah. don't use the telephone. Yeah. Or we have special light switch for the doorbell. Interesting. And so for us, as a family, it's quite normal for us. <laughs> so we haven't grown apart. Right. But I've seen it in families where either the parents are profoundly deaf and the children are hearing, or vice versa. It can cause some kind of friction, but... At the end of the day, they both recognise that they're family. Yeah. They have the same blood running through them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And 
just like any other family, they all love, love each other. Of course, of course, so, of course, of course, yeah. So I know this is interesting you say that, I suppose, because, uh, again, it's about um, knowing these little logistical things, be it, as you say, um, having a, a light switch uh, as a substitute for a doorbell. Um, again, you know, uh, if... Uh, yeah, I, w- I would have no idea, you know, you're the first person to mention it. But again, I suppose the more you interact with other people who are maybe a bit further down the line, let's say, you know, if you're a parent who's just had children and you've discovered that they have this, uh, you know, um, disability, meeting someone like yourself, knowing this information uh, would just, I suppose, you know, m- help them in those everyday circumstance especially if the parents themselves aren't you know deaf or blind or whatever it may be that that is the case um so Sukaina, coming back to yourself then um you know so what what do we aim or hope for uh, our community then and for for uh, you know uh, organizations at large you know in terms of going forward what would be the perfect scenario um you know what, what are the solutions to the issues we're discussing then i mean we've we've sort of said it i think the first thing is just raising awareness i think the more we're talking about it uh, the more that it'll become you know a topic that people don't shy away from hmm. and i think once that happens the sustainable solutions of accessibility will come because as long as we're aware of what the needs of our community are and i yeah. say that that really they're the needs of people in our community yeah, yeah. Um, and we have to acknowledge that that these people are part of our community and you know we we you know in order to to move forward i think once we really understand some of the barriers, um, mm-hmm. particularly the environmental and social barriers, yeah. then we can start addressing them and, and fixing them. And it doesn't always, we don't always have to have community uh, spaces that are inaccessible. We can make them accessible. And I think if I were to leave any key message, it is yeah. just that, that it is possible. <laughs> yeah. um, and, you know, we, we can't, we have to be optimistic about it because it can change. It has changed quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have made very, very great strides. Um, what what are some America. of what, what if you could mention just an example? Because I'm sure there's people listening out there um, sure. whose communities maybe are not as advanced as others um, who are probably wondering. So, what are these? Uh, probable kind of solutions or um you know things we can implement for uh, our communities to therefore be more technologically advanced in these areas or more assisting sure so smile canada what we do is we work with different uh communities to help them become more accessible so i'll give you a, a concrete example Please. recently um we work with um the bathurst community uh in in the the Kodeshia community in Toronto and it's it's been absolutely amazing working with them we just recently did a presentation uh, for the whole school to celebrate uh, the United Nations Day of Persons with Disabilities Um, and it's just really really amazing that the entire Islamic school got involved in this campaign and uh, the the Bathurst community they also have uh, on 
uh, as part of their community, they have um, a subcommittee mm-hmm. that specifically works with children with special needs or children with disabilities. And that's really, really important because they've taken the initiative on a community level. Yeah. And so they, they're providing the support and it comes from within. Uh, and that is something really, really um, amazing to see because if every community um, had a similar uh, subcommittee or committee and it started to become part of the conversation, yeah. uh, then we start to break down the barriers of accessibility and inclusion. Most definitely, most definitely. And uh, I mean, uh, Mason, let me ask you then, do, you know, uh, do you feel that funding is increasing now, um, you know, uh, and like we we mentioned before that you know our communities are starting to um provide speech therapists and you know assistance in the voluntary capacity obviously but there are people who now assist you know in madrasas and assist within um you know works uh, mosque uh, kind of um, events and things do you find that the funding though is increasing uh, at all um uh, at least with the awareness that is building i think that would at the awareness growth, you get quite a few more donations, private donations and so on. But in terms of official funding, that's still the same. Right, right. But whether we're, we've explored every funding option that's available, that's another question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So with, our, with all the awareness that's growing, yeah. it may be possible that we find another avenue of funding that we didn't even know we could use. Maybe, uh, Sakana, do you have any suggestions as to how we can increase uh, funding opportunities for uh, those um, in this difficulty um, with these challenges? You know, I'm sure Smile uh, as an organisation has um, come across challenges within itself in uh, starting and founding itself. But um, I'm now in your... Uh, how long have you been running, if you don't mind me so, asking? So we actually, on April 29th, are going to celebrate our 10th anniversary. Wow. So, wow. alhamdulillah, we're, um, we're very excited. It's been 10 years. That's superb. Um, we have a lot of work to do, but we've been able <laughs> to do quite a bit. Well, see, as an organization then, with 10 years' experience, how... how what advice can you give to others in regards to raising funds um, and helping uh, financially support uh, these causes? Uh, what, what is it that we can do as a as a community to, to help and assist? Sure. So for Smile, the, our biggest supporters are people are just everyday people. Um, really? We do not shy away to ask for support. Okay, yeah. Um, and I think that's the key, is don't be afraid to, to tell your story and ask for support. We don't uh, currently get any government funding, and so what we do is really? we go up to local uh, business people and you know different companies, and we share some stories, and mm. we let people know what their money so it, would go towards. It seems very much done on an emotive basis, really, then, in that, you know, as you say, you keep mentioning stories, and giving that kind of personal um, feel to, to it uh, for another person to then, you know, um, extend their hand. But why do you think it is that government support is not coming forward then? So, I mean, I can't say there hasn't been any, but um, like... In, in the sense that we do apply for grants and right. if we are, are successful and we're able to get a grant, we do it that way. But I think that, um, you know, there's there's a lot of different factors. We are unable to sort of, as it is, um, you know, funding is already scarce. Yeah. And I think 
that's why we've taken the route to to go and ask um, you know local businesses and and other okay. people for their support and and the reason why I, I keep mentioning stories is because I think once people are aware of some of the issues hmm. uh, they are willing to give and you know that's why I said I think we have to just uh, you know share share what's going on what are some of the challenges and barriers and also what are some of the solutions and pr- put all of that on the table most and definitely then ask yeah. people to support that no I, I think I think you're right um, it's just I suppose my curiosity as to uh, if it's such a such a common um, I suppose a human affliction you know disabilities of any kind um, you know, there seems that there is support in some ways, uh, but in others, uh, it's lacking. And it's just, a, I suppose, I, I wonder why why government uh, or, you know, even if uh, we are lacking in funding from a, you know, uh, a, a national health perspective. Um, yeah. As, as you mentioned there, you know, um, when you hear these stories, it, it makes you it makes you wonder, you know, why is it not a, a further priority? But uh, as you say, I suppose, you know, with the small steps that we're taking, um, it will get better um, it's just as uh, I say Mason you know in England we know that um, our National Health Service is not necessarily always the best um, though we are grateful that we get free um, health care uh, but similarly in that respect I suppose um, I wonder then you know how how involved and how helpful have the you know government institutions been in aiding yourself um be it within your school experience or be it in you know you're smiling <laughs> i'm wondering <laughs> what i'm gonna get now um but yeah i mean just generally you know uh, would you have benefited from an organization like smile um you know or have you had help from any institutions similarly to be honest um you're going to hear a story now, once Come upon on. a time and please, all that. Please, once upon a time, do it. <laughs> Basically, when I was younger, yeah, and I was just about to start nursery, primary school and so on, Right. my mother, she campaigned and she actually fought the council. She really? took the council to court. Wow. And she actually won a case against the council in a way that now... While I'm at primary school, yes, the council had to had to provide interpreters, they had to provide note takers, and they had to pay for speech therapy. Amazing, amazing. Two or three times a week. Amazing. So half of my childhood filled with speech therapy. Okay. Which is overall a good experience, <laughs> but I wouldn't be talking here right now mm-hmm. if it weren't for my mum campaigning for that. Wow, that that's that, that's phenomenal. Um, I mean, it's it's a shame that your mum had to go through those kind of loopholes in order to to definitely pr- provide you. But with that. bear in mind that was early nineties. True, true, and true. Coming more into more recent ages, yeah. I've heard that it's now more and more easier to get support from the government. And I suppose that's because of you know uh, the, the the precedence which your your mum has set uh, in achieving that. And that's 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 amazing to hear. And I remember even my schooling experience being in my mid thirties. I could see it in the latter stages. Uh, you know, improving slowly, slowly in terms of the one-on-one assistance people would get, be it speech therapists, as you say, or even in terms of, you know, we had a child who was suffering from uh, being blind, 
constantly would obviously need assistance around the school, uh, at least in the initial stages. Um, and again, in all these departments, like you say, um, it's so necessary to have that manpower because that's essentially what we're talking about there. Like you said, an interpreter, uh, interpreter or a translator or a speech therapist. Yeah. Um, it's about bodies and it's about being able to have educated people um, facilitate uh, the help that's needed. Um, so that's interesting to hear and I'm glad that it's improving. Um, do you find it similar in the Canadian school system then? Um, do you find in the latter years that um, things have developed uh, a long way? Yes, I think more and more things are improving. I think, you know, we're learning a little bit more also about, um, you know, some of the some of the needs that people have. And with the technologies that we're having, it seems to be a little bit easier to, to uh, work with some of these accessibility issues and make things a little bit better. Mm. Um, I, I do think we still have a long way to go. Um, <laughs> but I think that, you know, it's, it's getting better. And it I suppose, really I suppose, I suppose, with uh, each you know um, step that we take, it's a learning process for everybody. So you know, whilst schools may be making advances um, where other communities aren't, be it our mosque or our madrasas, we can then learn from that and hopefully implement those ideas back into uh, our you know uh, our um, private kind of communities. But, um, but yeah, as you say, it still is something which I feel um, we have a long way to go um, because from what I've heard from the both of you uh, it seems that you know whilst there is good work that's being done um, it seems that there's still much more that we can do um, but it, I, again uh, I'm I'm quite impressed I'm quite impressed to know that you know <laughs> it, it's uh, something because as I say within my family um, there I'm fortunate that we don't have uh, many people suffering with disabilities but the the flip side unfortunately is that you know out of sight out of mind you know things which you don't experience on a daily basis you therefore uh, almost sometimes you know uh, are forgetful of um and therefore yeah it's been a, it's been educating to hear that um that there is support for starters uh, in any capacity um because as i say um going to mosque on a weekly i think the only thing i remember was we trialed um you know a, um, a sign language uh Interpreter, uh, yeah. interpreter for a little while and even that stopped uh, I, I recognized um, yeah. so so again I'm not sure you know um, and uh, you know I wonder as I say you know what, what advances we might make in a local sense but uh, at least this is a uh, promising to know so uh, Sakena going forward you know what what lies on the horizons for Smile Canada then so we're gonna just keep at it uh, we have about 90 families on our register right now um, many wow. people who are new uh, new immigrants or refugees to Canada mm -hmm. who are just looking to to figure out like where where to go what services to access you know to I suppose that, that must be even harder for them sorry to interrupt you because obviously dealing with the whole adjustment language barriers everything else um, socially um, that, that might be that must be they must be very uh, fortunate to benefit from your assistance so we hope so I mean we're we're trying the best we can I mean we definitely the more the more support we can get um, whether it's financial or even in terms of volunteers uh, the better 
there are definitely um, a lot of people who who could use the support. Um, so we're going to just kind of keep at it. And about uh, once a month, we pick up a new um, school or center or, uh, you know, a different place we go to talk about uh, disability awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, some conversations uh, lead to uh, solutions or, or changes. Most definitely. Most and definitely. some conversations don't, but that's just the reality of, of it, right? Like, we're going to just keep at it. And hopefully, um, you know, we'll see more and more change. God willing, God willing, inshallah. Well, what, yes, inshallah. Where, where can people, um, you know, uh, follow the work that you're doing in terms of your social media handles or whatnot? What's the, the official strap sure. lines which they need to type? <laughs> so I'm not a social media guru <laughs> by any means. So That's fine. I do know we have a hashtag, United We Smile. Nice. Um, and you could, you could like us on Facebook or Instagram, Twitter, I guess. Snapchat, if I'm correct. <laughs> You're ahead of me. <laughs> uh, I'm, a, I'm a little hesitant because I don't exactly know what that is yet. Um, but I know I know we're on there somewhere. Um, and uh, we do have a website if people still go to websites. It's www.smilecan.com. Dot org, uh, and you know if you're interested, if any of your listeners are interested, uh, please do um, you know visit us and and tell us, share your story, and tell us uh, about your community, and we would be happy to help in any way that we can. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, well, thank you very much, Sakena, for joining us and uh, for uh, talking with us. And similarly, uh, Mason, uh, you know, we wish you all the best going forward. Uh, we hope that your one-man mission, though you don't describe yourself as a volunteer activist, but just a man <laughs> trying to make the world better, um, we hope that, you know, whatever endeavours you embark upon, that you're successful you. within them. And uh, as I say, yeah, it's been enlightening to uh, to hear your experiences thus far and to, to hear of the issues that I suppose are facing us in regards to this subject of inclusiveness uh, in regards to those uh, with disabilities. So and I thank you very much to both of you um, for joining us. Okay, so guys, this has been the TMV podcast by the Muslim Vibe with your boy Anayat Kanji, as always, sponsored by Wahid Invest. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Wahed helps you become a halal investor in minutes. Clients from over 40 states have already started their journey with us. Here's how it works. First, we ask you eight simple questions to recommend a portfolio based on your risk profile. You then select your portfolio and simply sign up online. Your account can be approved in seconds. After you fund your account, we'll place the trades for you. All you have to do then is sit back and monitor your performance. It actually is that easy.